Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and boy, are we glad. It's been a wild year. A political campaign that seemed to go on forever. Wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that also seemed to have gone on forever. The spectacle of corporate elites coming hat in hand to Washington seeking alms and politicians trying to seem simultaneously wise and stern and also dispassionate about the needs of their primary donors. Regular folks fearful of opening the latest report from their banks or investment companies, um, filing them away for future reference with a wish and a prayer. So what a relief to enter into this season that ends in celebration, a predictable season, warm and nicely lighted, the old stories told again, silent night sung by Bing or Tony or Frank or Nat or Natalie or Faith or Celine or good old Rosemary. And at the end of it all, God the Son, all tiny and warm and aglow with the adoration of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And like the wise ones we've all, of old, we look for gifts to offer to the God baby and to all those we love. And it's all predictable. It's all warm. It's safe. A welcome respite from the chaos, the danger, the anxiety all around us. Never mind that the culture is running faster than we are toward that warm and cozy place. Never mind that those old familiar sounds and smells and sights have become tools useful for stimulating the economy. Never mind that it's been Christmas at the mall since just after Halloween. It can leave our nerves feeling all jangled. But that feeling, too, is familiar. And if we don't think about it too much, we can even pretend that it's a good feeling, like love or joy or something. Because that's what we truly want in our deepest selves. We want to feel love. We want to feel joy. And who wouldn't want to? And so we welcome this first Sunday of Advent. It's like putting on that shabby old sweater that smells like home, or putting on those worn out but oh so comfortable slippers and settling down by the fire with a cup of hot chocolate with extra marshmallows. It feels good to enter into certainty, predictability, on our way to what we know will be a happy ending. What we desire is a little reassurance, maybe some comfort and joy. And so we naturally turn to our sisters and brothers, those with whom we share a faith and a hope that God is still alive and well and moving among us. And we gather together and pray that God's loving face will shine upon us and give us the peace we so long to have, the face we know so well, the face of a baby, soft and warm and vulnerable and adoring and adorable, sweet and kind, gentle, meek and mild. That's the face we seek, and rightly so, because we're anxious. We're exiled. We're living in a time of great uncertainty, a time of economic hardship that threatens to get a whole lot worse before it gets any better, a time of wars and rumors of wars, a time when the earth itself seems to be failing, the foundation falling from under our feet. And so we gather and pray that God's face will be revealed, and then when it is, it will be a face we recognize as compassionate, the face of a rescuer, a redeemer, but today, on this first Sunday of Advent, that's not what we see. Despite the prophet's pleas, God's face remains hidden, distant. God is not indifferent to the people's suffering, but neither is God acting to save them. Their suffering is, the prophet says, the consequence of their own iniquity, their own sin. Perhaps it's just as well that God's face remains hidden because, Isaiah says, well, the last time they saw that face, it was angry. And so finding no comfort in the prophet... We turn to Jesus. Surely Jesus will have something warm to say. Surely he will reveal a loving 
and compassionate God. But once again, we're confronted with a tale of woe, prophetic judgment. Now, the lectionary spares us the truly scary part, a part about running for our lives and, and woe to the infants and suffering and false messiahs. We just get the last bits, the parts where the sun goes dark and the moon does not give light and the stars are falling and heaven and earth are shaken. Bad times are coming, Jesus says. Look around you and see for yourselves. This is really not what we want to hear. It's not what we came here for. It's not glad tidings of great joy sung by the angels with the ox and the lamb keeping time. There's nothing remotely warm or comfortable or cozy about these words from Isaiah and Jesus. Instead, we find ourselves out of the frying pan and into the fire. Having sought refuge from the state of the world around us, the conditions created by human sinfulness and greed, human vanity and lust, human iniquity and trespass, we find ourselves facing the very things we sought to escape, danger and anxiety and bad consequences. We came seeking God's face, but are instead confronted by what we hope is a mystery. But what we fear is crystal clear. God's face is hidden. No wonder the sun seems dark. No wonder the moon has no light. No wonder the stars seem to have fled the night sky. God's face is hidden. And what we thought to leave behind is right here with us. Now, it seems right to me that the lectionary offers these texts for the first Sunday of Advent. This season, which once belonged just to those who follow Jesus, has long since been co-opted by advertisers and marketers. What used to be sacred songs are now piped into the mall in an effort to touch our hearts in just the right way to lead us to buy. What used to be a story centered on a poor family huddled together for warmth around a feeding trough containing a baby has long since morphed into a story about finding happiness in giving and receiving things. What began as a season filled with wonder that God's amazing love has been translated into just another attempt to convince us that money really can buy us love or at least a close approximation. And we, like our fellow Americans, have long since surrendered to all this co-optation of our sacred stories, so much so that we find ourselves humming along in the mall and tuning into the Christmas music on the elevator and growing all misty-eyed at yet another viewing of a Christmas carol and It's a Wonderful Life. We take comfort in the lights and the greens and the music and the warmth and goodwill we feel in our hearts and sense just beneath the surface of everyone we meet. And this is all so human. This is all so human, so normal, because there is great joy in finding just the right gift for a child. There is great wonder in hearing voices otherwise used solely for buying and selling, suddenly speaking words of blessing and merriment. There is great warmth to be found in being part of a community bent on celebration, even if what is celebrated is just a few steps removed from the old, old story. And it often really is the thought that counts. And surely all those warm, loving, generous thoughts are not wasted. Surely they don't just drift off to heaven without bringing some benefit to the world. So it's pretty jarring to come to church and be confronted with such doom and gloom on the first Sunday of Advent. Rather than having our warm feelings and cozy intentions endorsed and encouraged, we're met with something colder, more stern. It's jarring. It's, it's bracing. It's like looking for a cup of warm cider and being doused with cold water instead. Still, as I said, this seems right to me because all the prefabricated warmth, all the co-optation of our sacred story, all the holly jollity can lull us into thinking that all is well with us and the world. 
Like our ancestors, we can so easily mistake the gods of the surrounding culture for the one true God. And if we're not careful, we can begin to understand ourselves as blessed only when the sun and the moon and the stars are in perfect alignment. And that, love, uh, that song we love is, is playing in the background and we're safe on our easy chairs and sipping cocoa before the fire. If we're not careful, we can begin to believe that God is with us only then. And so attempt to create just the right conditions for God to show up and bless us by showing God's face. But our Advent texts shake us out of such reverie. They pull us away from such complacent presumption. They don't deny God's presence is with us when all is calm and all is bright, and we will get there. But they do remind us that God is around even when times are dark and anxiety is in the air, and it seems as though the world itself is about to fly apart. They remind us, too. They remind us, too, that God is more wild than we want to believe, untamed, undomesticated, a God whose coming's, coming makes the mountains quake, altogether capable of leaving us to our own devices one moment and then rescuing us the next, and doing both not because we have made it happen, but doing both for God's own reasons, reasons which are a mystery to us. Like a lump of clay trying to influence the hands of the potter, we long to tell God how we want it all to turn out. We plead for God's hands to be warm and, and soft and to gently ease us into some semblance of holiness. And we prefer to think of God's appearing to us in soft focus, lit warmly with tenderness pouring from God's eyes. We count on God being a place of refuge, of warm and safe and cozy, predictable, comforting. But God does not abide in some quiet little house away from all the sorrow and violence and misery of the world. God does not dwell in some mansion outside of and beyond the world's desperation. God continues to abide with us sometimes seeming far away and hidden, other times feeling right beside us. God continues to abide with us. And even though the sun may stop shining and the moon in turn, even though the stars may fall from the sky, even in a time of wars and economic unrest and fears for the future, God continues to abide with us. And into just such a world as that, into just such a world as ours, into a world of darkness and anxiety, and violence and death, Christ will come to seek and to save all that is lost. The potter's hands do not rest until all is remade and once again called good. The potter's hands do not rest until all is remade and once again called good. On this first Sunday of Advent, we may have wished to jump right to the warmth and coziness of Christmas. Instead, we are challenged by Isaiah and Jesus to reckon with the reality all around us, a reality largely shaped by human sin, a reality, though, that is inhabited by the God whose face we seek. This year especially, this year especially, we long to see God's face. This year especially, we long to see that face smiling upon us. This year especially, we may feel like it is too much to be asked to wait for that face to be revealed in a manger under the loving gaze of a man and a woman, our ancestors in wonder. This year especially, we may wish that God's first words to us would be words of comfort rather than judgment. And yet, this year especially, 
when we are perhaps more tempted than usual to seek solace in the trappings of the season, to either manufacture for ourselves or buy into the manufacture of some sense of peace, this year especially it seems right that the first word we hear in Advent is this. God is to be sought not only in the warmth of the stable, but also in the cold, dark, nighttime sky. God is to be sought not only in the safety of a clean and well-lighted home, but also in the place of exile. It's not where we want to be. It's not where I want to be. But God is here. And God's face is revealed to us, if only in the shadows. And so we enter this season, guided not by the sounds of angels singing sweetly or the plain, not yet anyway. Guided instead by the knowledge that the God whose face we seek is already with us. Perhaps not looking the way we want God to look, but with us all the same. And so it is, and so it shall be, all along the Advent journey. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.